No, I, I think it speaks for itself. It's awesome. Good work, everybody who put that together. Um, super good. Hey, you came back. Uh, yeah, it's a good thing. Last week, um, I asked you to consider whether or not you wanted to come back. Uh, and to do it, if you did, in a space of faith, um, humility, and head. Uh, we're trying to get ready for something. That's what we're doing. We're trying to get ready for something. We, we have an opportunity. I'm going to give you a bunch of numbers here in a minute. Uh, this facility on the northwest side um, is uh, uh, it's just a, it's a great opportunity, but it's going to require something f- from us that's not probably natural. So we've got to get ready. I, uh, I called my daughter-in-law yesterday just to check in on them and see what was happening. And she said, hey, we got tickets to the football game. We're going down to the football game. I said, when are you leaving? She said, 20 minutes. And I said, are you ready? <laughs> She said, no, not yet. She told me about five things that she did and about three more things that she had to do. So I was like, okay, let me let you go. Didn't do about eight things, if not more, to get ready to go to a football game. And, and I'm guessing they were excited about going to a football game. We get ready. We have to get ready to do just about anything we put our minds to doing. We don't always get ready for stuff we don't want to do. We don't even think about stuff we don't want to do. It's like, we'll cross that bridge when we get here. <laughs> this is not one of those things it, it, that, that we can just sort of wait until the, uh, you know, the last second. We got, we got about a month, the whole month of October, before we got to lay it on the line and tell God what we're, what we're going to do with our resources. And I'm asking you to lean into that, that whole month and get ready because it's really a personal thing. Um, you've already been... Working through it, I know. As soon as, the, as soon as the topic of money comes up, we start going, Ugh. there's a lot of different baggage that comes along with that. And I encourage it. Um, ask your questions. Um, toss out your critiques. Um, pour out your heart. It, it's, it's part of the process. Uh, I just am asking you to keep all of that under an umbrella of faith, that God is up to something. Whether you recognize this or not, money gives us a sense of control and security. We can, we can build strong houses. We can build high gates. We can do the sorts of things that give us a sense of um, uh, security, like I said, and a, and a future. We, can, we, can, we, we imagine that if we have enough money, we can... We can handle anything that comes our way. So we have a lot of impulses and triggers that go off when, when God says, hey, let me check your heart here within this context. Because that's what he's always doing. Um, you, can, you can look at King David. Uh, you can look at almost any character in the Bible. King David captures it so well for us. Here's the guy who was king. <laughs> he had uh, all the power that you could possibly have in, in, in God's world and in his, in, in his economy. And listen to how vulnerable he is when he laments in Psalm 139. He says, search me, God, and know my heart. You know, you know what's going to happen when you say to God who can see all things, search me and know my heart? 
if we're being honest, we don't really want God to see our heart. (laughs) I remember the first time Tammy and I took um, what I would consider somewhat of an extravagant vacation. We had been raising our kids. We hadn't done anything all that significant for a lot of years, which probably isn't a good idea. It needs some time. But we finally got away. It was just the two of us. We're in this beautiful place. And we sit down to our first meal. And I start eating. And Tammy says, um, you're not going to pray for the meal? Because I, I always pray before the meal. And I was like, I don't really want to call God's attention to where we're at right now. I felt, you know, I didn't, I didn't want him to see the extravagance that I was uh, embracing. You know, I didn't, I don't want, but, but David says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Ferret out from within me whatever offends you. He says, if there's any offensive way in me, God, I want you to find it and lead me in the way everlasting. So what David understood in a very deep way that is although our hearts are oftentimes offensive to God, uh, doubtful of God, anxious, where he says that we should be supremely confident in him. He says, "If, if, if you discover that God and we come to terms with it, then I can be led in the way everlasting. This is what David understood. This this is the upside down world of God. What seems like the stuff that we should hide, that we should be embarrassed about, that that shouldn't be a part of our lives, the way we grip onto things and and love things to too great of a degree. God says, if you put that stuff out on the table, we can deal with that. And then and only then I can lead you in a much better way. It's a pretty natural thing to call foul when God is searching out immaturity and offensiveness, right? We say, no, 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 I don't back off. But it's a good thing to let God work on us. Things like this physical facility are not the end point. Things like this that God puts before us are simply a means to a spiritual end. A journey that is to bring about something better and deeper within us. (laughs) If you're a guest here today, (laughs) you'll be glad to know that God is mapping out a future for Vista. And that's very meaningful for us right now because every church that's gone through the pandemic, not even just churches, but businesses, families, people have gone into the space of, am I even going to make it? Lots of churches have not made it. Lots of businesses have not made it. Lots of people have not made it. The fact that God is mapping out a future for us is very meaningful. It says to us in a very real way that we have value in his eyes and that we should keep doing what we're doing. It's a good thing. In very practical terms, we've got to raise about $3.5 million in order to buy a 40,000 square foot building. And like I said, the first step isn't a financial commitment. We just need to get ourselves ready, and that takes some doing. We need to be sure that we are, first and foremost, following God 
in, in a whole person way. It is, this journey of faith is a whole person endeavor. <laughs> and I think I should tell you that my iPad auto-corrected that to following God is a whole person cadaver. <laughs> and, I, and I thought to myself, Ephesians 2 does say we are dead in our transgressions, that we, we have the spiritual capacity of a cadaver, but that we are alive in Christ. So I'm going to go with endeavor. In Christ, it is a whole person endeavor. Apart from Christ, life is a whole person cadaver. The, <clears throat> it's a whole person endeavor. Uh, listen to the Shema, the, the, the Jewish Shema. It goes like this. It's from Deuteronomy chapter 6. The, the Jewish faith, they recite this daily. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. That is what we are cadavering to do. We are <laughs> endeavoring to lean in with our whole selves. This is the first step. And I'm tremendously glad that you came back. The testing is hard. It is hard. And so it is for good reason that we start with faith. It's, it's faith first always. There is no way to live God's way apart from faith. The, proverb, the proverbial wisdom goes like this. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. Where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint. Here's what that means. Where there is no revelation, where there is no future vision, where there is no hope, where there is no understanding of God's eternal ways and our eternal security, we lose our way here and now. We cast off restraint. It says, but blessed is he who keeps the law. Right? Who can keep the law? Of God, unless they see the bigger picture. Who can make the sacrifice and live the way God would have us live if they don't see the whole picture? Those who can recall and remember and believe the long game can obey in the short game. Alternatively, you could say it this way what God asks of us in the short term often can seem to make no sense without the long view. This is exactly why I only talk about two things whenever I have married somebody. In the wedding itself, I talk about faith. I tell them right there in the most beautiful day of their life that it is going to go south. To some degree, sometimes to a horrific degree. And the only way you can make it through is if you have faith. Not faith that there's a God. There's that. But the faith that God is up to something in the struggles and the challenges of this life. If we don't believe the long game that this struggle, this difficulty, this tragedy is by God meant for something or can be used for something greater in us, we will not be able to live God's way. 
It's why the non-believer sees the Christian life. The long marriage as foolish. It makes no sense. You're both unhappy, right? You're both unhappy. You're, You're making the kids unhappy. You should just separate. This doesn't make sense for you to say that it was a mistake. You know, just get over it. And the Christian says, I know it's painful. I know I'm unhappy. But in God's economy, my marriage is not here to make me happy. It's to make me holy. This is the Christian space. And the uh, the non-Christian looks and says, well, that's just dumb. Faith confounds reason. We're asking one another to commit funds to something. And it's completely reasonable to assume that uh, that numbers and numbers of people within the Vista community are in no position to do that. That they're, they're, they're barely making ends meet. Could be you. Just, just to survive. And the assumption would be, well, I can't play in this. That, that's foolish. Well, it's not. There is a way to play. There is a way to exercise faith with what you have. The question is, are we willing to lean in and find it? The way of God, the way of faith is foolish. Jesus said, if your enemy strikes you on uh, one side of the face, turn the other side. Well, that's just dumb. The person of faith who has the long view. The person of faith who understands the life of Christ says, no, something more powerful can happen in that space than what I understand if we have the long view. Paul says the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him. He's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The Christian life is to be lived and defined by faith. The building is not the goal. Your character is. It's my favorite quote. Let me give you my favorite quote right now. It's your lucky day. My favorite quote is also accompanied by my favorite name. See, with a name like Mike Smith, you fantasize about cool names. And the guy whose quote I'm going to give you is named Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. What? And here's what he says. If you want to build a ship, don't drum up the men to gather wood, divide the work, and give orders. Instead, teach them to yearn for the vast and endless sea. And then what goes without saying is, you get that, they'll build a boat. They'll find a way to build a boat. We have to first yearn for the vast and endless and mysteriousness of God. That he's got a purpose in every struggle that we face. And it is one of our most profound struggles. 
to let go of things that we love and that give us a sense of security. Faith. Got to have it. Got to start there. And then we can dive into the heart a little bit because the pursuit of God, the pursuit of God, the the pursuit of faith, uh, leaning into God is a humbling experience. Look at that quote from David again. It's a vulnerable experience. To lean into God is to allow God to see our heart. When faith calls upon us to act and live in a certain way now, in the Christian form, it is to die to self. It is a, a loss uh, in order that there is gain. There is sacrifice for me for what's best for you. We give the greatest glory to God, not in our strength, but in our weakness. It is a thing of faith that ultimately is a place of humility and humbling. And when we honestly allow God to probe our hearts, when we let something, even as arbitrary, in a sense, as a building, to test our hearts, we are left to face what we don't see, hard things like fear and insecurity and justified selfishness and lack of hope and hope in worldly things. We see our fears and our insecurities and our anxieties. These are the things that cause us to resist when God says, hey, I want you to look at something. I'd like you to go here. I'd like you to give this. We immediately become aware of, well, we don't always become aware, but we start reacting and acting out of our fears and our insecurities. The things that we often grip onto for security end up replacing our confidence in God's grip on us. God says, I don't want you to have any other gods before me. I don't want you to have any other gods near me or around you. I don't want that because you grip onto them. When you grip onto them, you lose sight of how wonderful and beautiful my grip is for you. Our heart ends up being gripped by other things which ultimately traps us. Uh, The grip of idols perpetuates our fears. Does that make sense? Uh, we, we want, we're, we're, we're going after something. We want to get it. We long to get it. We're, we're putting everything uh, in play to get that. And we finally get it. Could be a relationship. Could be a, a material thing. Could be uh, an experience. And we, and we work to get it. We're afraid for our lives if we can't get it. And then we get it. And everybody, you know this intuitively. The fears don't go away. The insecurities don't go away because now the fear and the insecurity is I'm going to lose it. So once we grip onto it and have it, we grip onto it even harder. And that is our heart and it ends up trapping our heart. We are gripping onto things. And God says, I want you to grip onto me. I want you to see what's going on in there. I'm going to take you through some things in this lifetime. So that you can see what's going on. So I'm going to make you better in a very deep way. I'm going to unleash you from what grips your heart. And I'm going to unleash you to generosity. 
Paul says, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs all of them. We have to have faith in that, and we have to know that we're going to be humbled in the process. And the process of giving some money to the church for a building is a legitimate, true struggle. And I'm asking you to let it have its good effect. Don't run away from it. Lean into it. There is a place for each one of us to arrive. God knows what it is. I do not. We want to find that. And we know now we are ready that getting to that space is not an easy trek. So let me show you some numbers. Let me show you some stats that will start the process of humility. This is, this is enlightening. Here's the first one. Here's biblical giving versus our giving. We have a budget of um, a million six. It's down there at the bottom. I'll get to that in a second. The median household income for our kind of world, Worthington, Powell, and Dublin kind of combined is about 130000 That's That's kind of the... That's a median. The biblical giving is a 10%. It's a tithe. It'd be about 13000 Right now, we have about... 256 households that call Vista home and, 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 and are currently giving. So you take the number of households, 256 times uh, uh, biblical giving, and you have 3,328,000. Double what our current budget is. More than double what our projected giving is. Like we're going to come in at the end of this year about 1.4 if, we're, if, we're, if, if, if things go Okay. That leaves us at a giving percentage of 4.2. There are people in the church that give 10%, give more than 10%. There are generous people in the church. But if that's the standard for biblical giving and the standard for uh, generosity, which is arguably the low bar, like 10%, we tend to think that is sort of the goal. This Old Testament, like the Old Testament says, thou shalt not murder. <laughs> and Jesus goes, yeah, don't, definitely don't murder. But I don't want you to be angry in your heart. I want your heart to be pure. The Old Testament says, of course, you, you, give, you give the first tenth of what you give away to put you in a place of dependence. Of course, that. Don't murder. And give 10%. But Jesus says, I want, to, I want everything. Everything you have is mine. Every dollar that you have should be considered and applied and stewarded with great care. All of it. I'm in there with you. I'm part of that average. It's substandard. Here's the second one. This is even maybe more enlightening. Here, here's average charitable contributions of anybody. This isn't even just church people. This is like the whole United States broken down by um, income bracket. So under 15000 the, the according to the income tax returns, the average is fourteen seventy one. So under fifteen thousand, what do you divide that by? I just picked ten thousand somewhere in there. That's about fourteen point seven percent, obviously. The percentage of the next one is uh, made on on um, like twenty two thousand. 
11%, and so on. Anything catch your attention about that chart? How do you explain that? It goes back to what I was telling you before. The more you get hold of, the more you have, the scarier it is to give it away. The only thing more gripping than fear itself is the fear of losing what you've got to grip on. Who's more generous, the one giving 5,000 or the one giving 1,500? Who's more generous? I don't know anybody's heart. It's not the amount. I think some of that's what puts us to sleep when we're in the higher end of this bracket because we're giving five, six times more than a lot of people. So that makes me generous. But God isn't asking us to measure our generous by comparing ourselves with others. He says, I'll define what generous is for you. Jesus saw a a woman um, in line with a bunch of rich people putting their gifts into the treasury. And you know the story. She put two pennies in there. And he said... This poor widow has put in more than all of you. For all of these out of their abundance have put in offerings, but she, out of her poverty. I've been been doing pastoring stuff for almost 25 years. It's not my favorite thing to look at giving roles. There are always a few families that no one would have any idea how sacrificial they're being because they don't look like they could be all that generous. It's a beautiful thing. It it is not about the quantity. It, It is about the gift that expresses a dependence on God, not the money. Part of the reason someone who doesn't have much can be generous. The reason when we hand an orphan, literally this happened, hand an orphan a little bag of M&Ms, they immediately turn and start sharing those M&Ms with someone else. When they haven't had M&Ms for maybe six months is the same reason. Because they don't have much, it's not got a hold of their heart. They're not dependent on on it. They don't have to keep it. They're not depending on that. They're they're living day in, day out, week in, week out upon what God brings to them. I walked into Pastor Dan's mom's mud hut the very first time I met her. Wonderful woman of God. We sat on old couches and a dirt floor and a broken wooden coffee table and what was served to me to eat was an egg and what they call nuts of the ground. Peanuts. An egg and some peanuts. And I was, I said, Pastor Dan, 
whose egg is this? Because those are my mom's. And she has plenty. She said, that's her lunch. She wants you to eat it. And I was like, she didn't speak any English. I said, I can't eat her lunch. He said, you better (laughs) eat her lunch. He said, she knows that she can, as the scriptures say, cast her bread upon the water because it will come back to her. That is generosity because it comes from a place of faith. Here's our financial need. Our giving won't sustain next year's budget and we've trimmed it as much as we can. Our giving needs to increase by about 300000 for us to be whole. And we've got a $3,500 project we want to try to accomplish. About, I think we'll end up at $3 million for that building, which is an astoundingly good deal for 40,000 square feet in Dublin. And it'll cost us a half a million dollars, at, probably at least, to renovate it. So that's just a good target number. <clears throat> Here's the strategy. So perk up a little bit. This, this is what I'm going to eventually ask you to do and consider. Like we're not, gonna, we're not, in a sense, asking right now or committing. This is just what I need you praying about and thinking about for next year. All 256 of us need to increase our giving by about 25% to hit that budget mark. It's just number crunching. Now, I've had a couple of people look at my notes and say, you're asking everybody to give 25%? No, <laughs> I'm asking everybody to increase their giving by 25%, which means if what you give right now is 1%, you would be giving like 1.25. If what you do right now is 4%, I'd be asking you to consider 5 you see, 25% growth. We'll probably have to talk that through, and maybe there's a better way to do it. But our giving needs to increase by 25% for us to be where we need to be. And then I'm going to ask you for a one-time gift. We need a whole bunch of cash right up front by the end of the year to buy that building. <clears throat> a couple other things that we're going to um, entertain um, is um, an LLC by which not only people within the church, but without the church, outside the church, can actually buy a part of the asset. It wouldn't be a charitable donation. It'd be an actual part ownership that would um, prove out capital gains at some time in the future. So it'd be just, it's not charitable. And then sharing the joy is a thing I'm thinking about right now where I'm not only asking you to provide, I'm asking you to ask others to pitch in to what we're doing in the community. I think that would be a good exercise for you too. I don't know, I don't know your checkbook. I don't, I don't want to know your checkbook. Um, I'm just asking you to join us. Join even my wife and I, we, we, with you, we will be thinking about, do you know, you know, I give to the church. Some people, I don't, I'm trying to pat myself on the back, but some people think pastors don't give to their own church. Like, I don't know what that's about. We do the same thing. We're just like you. We get a paycheck and then we give. I'm asking you to join Tammy and I, along with the rest of this church, and think about well, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for me? All right. There's another chart that's going to blow your mind. Here's the one-time gift frame. This is how it breaks down. If we're going to raise this, this is, this is how the giving is going to have to look. One person is going to have to give a million dollars. Somebody else is going to have to have half a million dollars. And all the way down to 100 people given thousand dollars and 65 people I suspect 
are going to give somewhere between zero and nine nine. And actually, if you're going to, if if y'all are taking notes and you're looking for ways to show me where I've uh, made mistakes, uh, let me jump to this. That sixty five is calculated as a zero, and then it'll add up for you if you're doing that addition. And here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to pray. Here's what I want you thinking about. Somewhere on that list, your eyes go and you say, I can do that. You can find a number you can go, I can do that. That I can do. Okay, that's the low end of your range. That's, that's, what I'm t- that's the low end. There's another number on that chart and you think, I, I have that, but that's crazy to give that. I'm asking you to figure out where on that range you're going to be able to contribute. Does that make sense? So I just want you to have that range in your head. That, I can do that. Like, there's no way. Somewhere on that is where you're going to land. So I just want you to have that framework in your, in your mind. And there's a reason that I, I'm counting 65 people doing zero. Because the only faith step here isn't necessarily financial. You're, you're, if, if you have absolutely no financial means between now and the end of the year to contribute to what we're doing, there, is, there are things that you can do. Maybe you've never done a budget. Maybe you've never done any kind of analysis. Maybe you've never gotten help with your finance. That'd be a huge step of faith, a humble thing to do. Everybody's got an opportunity here to... Sacrifice isn't about the amount. Don't get hung up on that. It's just not about comparison. This is about your range and your work. Remember I said it's faith and it's heart and it's head. You got to do some work. You got to figure this out. You got to duke it out with God and others and then figure out what we're going to do. What we're going to do. Remember the widow. It's not the amount. It's the heart behind it. All right, so here is the calendar, and then I've got a couple closing thoughts for you. Next week, please come. This is going to be a blast. One of the most amazing things about this building is it's got 500 parking spaces. There's no place in Dublin except for like Kroger and maybe Cardinal that has 500. Any office space, any warehouse space has like under 100. But 500 spaces is crazy. Crazy. Come see the parking lot. <laughs> 10 a.m. next week. We'll have a little service. And then we're going to open the front door and the back door. And we're just going to have you go through and see the place. So come and do it. The, the week following, we're, we're going to do just a digital live stream service. We're not going to be in person either place. And that's going to have a virtual tour uh, embedded in it. When we get back on the 17th, it'll be normal two services. And that'll be kind of the first day of, all right, let's start making some commitments and that space will be open for a couple weeks. And then we'll wrap it up on October 31st. we got a month. All right, so here's, here are some of my closing thoughts. How you doing? Okay? We all right? Okay. <clears throat> I'm just telling you stuff. Here's the thing I want you to know. <clears throat> There's a lot of cynicism about leaders in the world right now. They're in it for themselves, and a lot of them are. I'm not, I'm not I promise you. <laughs> I didn't even ask for this job, if you want to get into it. 
But God has called me into it, and he's been faithful, and I've gotten a lot of joy and a lot of satisfaction and a lot of friends as a process of leading this church. I'm not trying to get something from you. I want something for you. I want your heart to be free. I want this process to to, to deepen your faith and your character and expand your hope. I I want you to know the joy of giving, the joy of freedom, the joy of faith. I really, really, really believe that this is a good process that leads to joy and freedom. The building will, of course, be a place where we worship and we fellowship and, and students gather and the prodigals return and uh, we welcome the hurting and we partner with others. And, uh, and yes, but it, it is so much more and I want that for you. Don't forget that that place represents this body of Christ and we together with all the tools that God avails to us are there so that we can love others. People that you love. People that are, that are still far from God. You know, as well as I do, people are struggling. You're struggling. This has been a long, long journey and it's still going on. And in, struggles aren't going to stop when this pandemic is over. Just remember, our future isn't just for us. It's for people we don't even know yet. It's for people who don't have the strength to be involved. Even in their church, they've been disillusioned or hurt or have given up. We have a heart to regather those people. And this is one of many opportunities for us to do that. You may be in really, really bad shape right now. Your faith may be in really, really bad shape. I called a friend of mine who um, is, is an incredible leader, incredible man of faith, and, and I thought I needed some coaching. I needed some help, and I had talked to him for a while. So I called him and said, hey, Mark, how you doing? He said, horrible. I feel like God has abandoned me. Friends have abandoned me. I, I had no idea. I should have called him way before then. Many of you know my wife is a counselor. Over the years, she's had a policy or a value that she would never say uh, I'm full or no to a pastor or a minister or a missionary. She only works a couple days a week. That's been, been her whole life. And so her waiting list is longer than her client list. But she's always said yes to them for 20, 25 years. So you can imagine her practice is almost entirely that now. I kid you not, she's talked at least 10 of them off the ledge of just quitting, packing it in, quitting, giving up. People, people are hurting. You're hurting. <clears throat> Lean in anyway. You're going to get through it. You're going to get, God is going to pull you through. And remember, I want something for you. I don't want you to get through it and look back and go, I wish I could have been part of that. You can be. In some way, lean in, even if it's tough. And if you're in a good place, lean in for the sake of those who aren't. This requires something deep. You look all through the Bible, you look at Jesus' life himself, 
the thing that leads to the safety and security of others is our vulnerability. The people of God have always made themselves vulnerable so that others could be safe. This is a deep, deep work. John put it like this near the end of his life. He said, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. And you can feel the vulnerability in that verse. Love is a vulnerable thing. Sacrifice is a vulnerable thing. Letting go is a vulnerable thing. It scares us. And I want you to be encouraged about something that's happening outside the church. There's a movement. Columbus has been identified as actually one of four cities where something gospel is happening more significantly than elsewhere. How they measure that, I have no idea. But it's Barna, and he's been measuring stuff for like my whole life. We have an opportunity, and the way we're thinking about this building is very different than most standard approaches to church buildings. And our hope is that we can be coming out of this pandemic in, in a way that we really in many ways imagined that God would do something that set us on a course for the way he needs the future church to be, not just like it used to be. And I'm in a bunch of conversations with business people and parachurch that want to cooperate in some way for the betterment of the city. And this building will be and can be kind of a model for that. It's exciting. God might be up to something where it's not just for our benefit, but it is truly a cooperative space that is very rare that could be very impactful to our city. So here's, here, here we go. And over the next three weeks, I'm going to wrap it up here. Over the next three weeks, stay in a faith space. Encourage one another to believe. Resist the cynicism that, that, that is, is certain to come. Let your heart be humbled. Use your brain, ask questions, do math, criticize us and me and what's going on to, to, to understand it. You've got to understand that you're moving from very little detail to a significant commitment. That's a process and that takes time. You've got to engage your brain. Have fun. I mean, don't forget to have fun. Come to that October 3rd parking lot thing. It's going to be a blast. Invite your friends. They can see this building. Dream a little. On October 10th, there's no church that morning in person. What could you do with that time? Dream about it. Could, could you set a tied time? Could you maybe do an overnighter with your family somewhere and say, you know what we're doing? We're praying about, about this, this building and, and what we're going to do. Let's, let's do it together. Just have fun with it. We're going to be off that morning. Do something with it. Engage this whole month of October. And anticipate that 7th when, it, when, when we start uh, getting down to business and those commitments. God, we, we pray that you would continue to Unleash us from what grips our heart and unleash a generosity from our heart that, that, you, that you love to see. That you, we know, God, that where you are leading us 
can only be arrived at by faith and by sacrifice. That's just who you are. Anywhere we can get on our own isn't yours. If we can get there by ourselves, God, help us to be faithful people. Grow us up. We want to be a better, deeper, more believing, humble church through this process. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for... um